0: Welcome to Sports with Friends. This is episode 410, and it's the second time in two weeks that we are interviewing an all-star pitcher from two decades ago. This will make you feel like you're going in a time machine. Last week was so much fun with Derek Lowe. He's participating in the American Century Championships in Lake Tahoe. It's set to take place July 12th to the 16th at Edgewood Tahoe South. So if you're listening to this podcast as it's being released... That's coming up next week. If you're listening to this in the future, well, you know the drill by now. If you're a loyal listener to Sports with Friends, do me a favor. Let me know how the flying car is. It'll be broadcast by NBC, and you can say, when you see Derek Lowe, when you see Joe Theismann, when you see today's guest, you heard them on Sports with Friends. Mark Mulder is a multiple-time champion of the American Century Championship He's also an all-star pitcher. He was part of the Big Three with the Oakland A's, with Barry Zito and Tim Hudson. The irony there is that I did a radio show with Barry Zito, and Tim Hudson did a radio show with, my, with one of the other shows on MLB Radio. Mark Mulder was the guy we never heard from. So to have him first on the podcast is just a bit ironic. He also went on to pitch for the St. Louis Cardinals, finished with a record of 103-60, was the American League wins leader in 2001, a two-time all-star, and now a golf champion. Mark, thanks so much for doing this. Welcome to the podcast, man.
1: You got it. Thanks for having me. And maybe maybe this was just meant to be, you know, maybe I blew you off long enough that that it now works <laughs> to to be on here.
0: <laughs> but just to clarify for people listening to this, you were never a dick about it. Like you were you were you were not yeah. you were always a good guy. You were very nice. You just didn't do as many interviews.
1: <laughs> no, I was never You know, when I look back at that kind of stuff, I was always just I I don't I don't know how to I don't know how to put it the right way. It was just I was there for one thing. I I was there to do my job. I was there to to play baseball. And, you know, it's not like I didn't do interviews. It's not like I didn't go do TV stuff. It's not like I didn't do appearances. It's just those were not those were not uh, baseball was number one. And then everything else was on the back burner you know i i just i guess i always had the opinion that if you do great thing if you do really good things great things on the field other things will happen other things will come of it and i was just never um i don't know i was i wasn't out there searching for extra stuff um i guess you could say
0: i remember back in those days you know in 2001 i joined mlb radio and it was a new venture and it was cool that there were some teams and players that embraced it and others didn't. You know, I I remember there were 29 teams that were very, very nice to us. And there was one team, the New York Yankees, that made our lives a living hell. And people really? always laughed at me and they said, oh, did you, did, did you like the Yankees living in New York? No. Yes. <laughs> because- they made my life hard and and i and yep. I always remembered that, and it was just funny, but some teams, the Minnesota twins were another one, Tory Hunter, jock Jones, like those guys, they just were great with that, you know, Barry yeah. was another one. they were just people that did, and it was it was very helpful, considering we were we were a new venture at the time. It's funny saying that twenty years later,
1: sure, but but look at look at the twins and look at the a's i or you know, I know you said you had Barry on a lot, but Those are two, at that time, those were two of the really good young teams in baseball, you know, and and I think that was, that. that's also why I think us and the the twins caught on with a lot of fans. I mean, I can't begin to tell you to this day how many people still come up to me and be like, oh, I love your teams when you were younger and this and that. And these are people who did not live in the Bay Area. I mean, for some reason at that time with, media with tv with whatever you want to call it our team did something our our team was the was the underdog the likable underdog the the whatever and I I mean the people that come up to me they're like oh yeah you and Hudson and Zito and then and people just kind of start rattling off Chavez and Tejada and Jermaine Dye and you know and it's kind of amazing that you know this person might have been a I don't know a Braves fan but yet they could name they could name uh, our half of our starting lineup and, and our starting pitchers, or or they kind of go, what were the other two guys that were with you, Mark? <laughs> you know the other two pitchers. You know, and the minute I say their names, they're like, oh yeah yeah oh, yeah. yeah. You know, yep. and I guarantee you the same thing happens to Barry and the same thing happens to Huddy. You oh, know, sure. They're, 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 I'm sure Barry all the time gets, oh what was it, uh, Hudson? And, uh, you know, it, it's just part of it, and it was. It's really cool that um, I don't know for some reason our our teams and some of those young teams back then just stuck with people, I guess you could say.
0: I had a blast covering your team. It was, and I'm not kissing your ass. You're already on the podcast. Yeah. like it was, <laughs> it was an absolute blast covering that team. Uh, so much fun. Uh, so so much fun. But let's go. Since we're talking about the old days, let's 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 stay there. What did you make of the book Moneyball? and subsequently what did you make of the movie and i want to precursor that by saying i thought the book was incredibly well done i thought the movie was incredibly stupid because you guys were barely in it and you guys barry tim and you with a key to the whole oakland scene and to ignore that was such a poor bit of storytelling
1: um well okay for one i never read the book okay um i'm not much of a reader um I know my parents read it, and they thought the they thought the the book was good. The
0: book um, was good, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's that's what I heard. Um, I'll, I'll say this: I when I watched the movie the first time, I I know I had just kind of gotten on Twitter and I was like live tweeting things, saying <laughs> that that didn't happen, that didn't happen, this you know just that kind of stuff. So I'll say this: I thought the movie was good for what it was. If you didn't understand everything, I would think people would have liked the movie. Um, I didn't care one bit to be fair that they didn't talk about us in the movie. Um, because that wasn't what it was about. Now I'm surprised it wasn't mentioned.
0: I was if surprised you're gonna tell it a wasn't a story about a team success. Tell the sure. story of the team. Yeah. It's like saying, Hey, we're going to do a movie about the Chicago bulls, but it's Scottie Pippen and Bill Cartwright.
1: <laughs> yes. No. And, and I, and I totally get that. Um, but you know, that I guess I looked at it as that that wasn't the story. So I, I liked the movie. Um, a lot of it I thought was made up. Uh, a lot of it was I hated the fact that they made Art Howe look bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I really did dislike that.
0: One of the great guys. Um, one of the, one of the he, true gems of that sport.
1: Yeah, he, he was incredible. And, you know, he was so awesome with me my rookie year when I got called up and I really struggled. Um, and then he was even better the next year when I was pitching and he was, but he was also the same guy the next year when I was pitching great, you know, but he was just always so kind. And every time I see him to this day, I saw him, I think last summer, a bunch of us were all out there for a little anniversary thing of our, uh, 20 game win streak. And a lot of the team, a lot of the teammates were there and it was just an incredible time to see all those guys. But, um, you know, it- it's, uh. The movie, uh, the movie was good for what it was. I, I, like I said, I, I really could care less whether they talked about us or not, because you know, the other thing is we also had guys like Corey Lytle, who I I believe that year, I think the four of us finished in the top 10 in ERA. Sure. You know? And so it was, uh, he was like the other guy,
0: like the Seinfeld episode, the three tenors And, and the other guy.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, he had, I think a 30 some inning scoreless streak that year. So, you know he he pitched just as well as the the three of us did. So it was uh, it was a special time, and I, I I look back and appreciate a lot of that stuff. But you know the, I still have people who bring up that movie and things like that, and I just tell them I go yeah if you watch the first twenty seconds of the movie, they show me three times, <laughs> and and that's oh and I got I got a I got a quick little short story for you. So sure. when they were originally supposed to make the movie with Steven Soderbergh as the producer. Uh he called, he called me and asked to confirm a bunch of stories. And then the studio calls and says, Hey, would you mind coming in? We're going to have a bunch of you guys come in and play yourself in Arizona in spring training. Yeah, sure. No problem. I can do that. Uh, I live in Arizona, so it was no big deal. Um, The night before filming is supposed to start, I get a phone call at eight o'clock at night saying movies off. And I'm like, and, and I'm like, what? I'm like, wait, I'm supposed to be there at 7 a.m. tomorrow morning, and they go, nope, you don't need to come. Movie's off. Month or two go by, and I get a check in the mail for like seven or eight thousand dollars from Sony.
0: No way. And, and
1: I and I had to actually call my agent, my baseball agent. I go, hey, what what is this? Yeah. And he goes, oh, you actually got it. And he goes, well, when, when that all went down, you know, they were going to pay you guys. I never knew they were paying us anything. I thought I was just showing up to shoot for one day. And he goes, my agent said to me, he goes, well, he goes, we, we had talked about that, but when the movie got canceled, I didn't know that that was still something they did, you know, whatever. So needless to say, I did nothing and then got seven or $8,000. So
0: whatever. Well, you you know, the only reason why I brought it up was because you referenced the, the 20 years later, People still remember the team. I just wonder how much that movie helps the legacy of the team because that's sure. what I hate. Here, here's an example: the movie Bohemian Rhapsody, right? It's it's a good movie. I mean, it, it, you know, the guy the guy's great in it. It's ridiculously f- uh, factually inaccurate. You know, Freddie Mercury didn't have AIDS when he did Live Aid, but yeah. now because of that movie, he did. Yeah. and history will now think that he had he was sick when he did that that great performance people will see that movie that movie's going to stand the test of time more than classic games from the 2001 ALCS like sure that's going to t- stand the test of time and for, as somebody who remembers covering that team that kind of bums me out because that movie is not a proper representation, like no disrespect nope. to Scott Hattieberg, but I'm not having him on the podcast. Like <laughs> if I'm having somebody from that team. Like it's going to be one of you three guys. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm not naive. I'm not dumb. I know the elephant in the room.
1: Sure. Sure. I, I get, I get it, man. I just, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm just very indifferent to it. I, okay. you know, I, I, I don't care either way. Um, you know, if they made a movie about the three of us, that'd be different. But, you know, I also don't want that either. So that, that wouldn't be all that exciting. <laughs> no, no. Well, well, it maybe would be if you talked about Barry a lot, but we'll leave it at that. <laughs> well, then
0: if they played clips, maybe I'd get an $8,000 check. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> um, the playoffs, some of the greatest games in baseball history. You know Jeremy Giambi if he had slid, you know th- things sure. like that. They, the 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 relay throw by by Jeter, the the flip play, you know th- things like that. Um, what do you take away from the playoffs? You know, I am not one to discount the amazing regular seasons you played there from 2000 to 2004. They are th- they are five of the dominant regular seasons in time. You guys went to the postseason four seasons in a row. And yep. that that's no small feat, but what I will always remember are these, it's not just these playoff series. They were classic playoff series.
1: Well, all right. So I'll start with the first thing you said about um, Jeter's flip and Jeremy sliding, and then I'll go to the, the, us losing in the playoffs. So
0: well, he's safe if he slides, right?
1: Well, okay. But here's, here's, here's the only thing um, I wish, It'd be interesting to see if we had replay and four, and the the how clear the cameras are today. Mm-hmm. That'd, make, that'd make it interesting. The other thing that most people don't realize is Jeremy probably never should have been on first. We had always pinch run Eric Burns mm-hmm. in a, situ, in a oh, situation like guy. that.
0: Another great guy, Eric Burns.
1: So Eric, he wasn't a starter. He was basically just a pinch runner toward uh, that year when I believe he got called up that year. So he was always just a pinch runner. Um, they talk about Jeter practicing that. That is complete BS. Yeah,
0: that's there's no um
1: way. I'm sitting in the dugout and I'll tell you what it is. So, as a shortstop, when a ball's hit down the right field line like that, you go toward, you kind of jog tw- in between second and first because you're kind of the second cutoff man on right. a throw to third for a triple. Well, the minute, um, oh shoot, who was the right fielder? Shane, uh, Shane Spencer, Shane, Shane Spencer. The minute yeah. he picks that ball up and throws it, Jeter's <clears throat> Jeter's kind of uh, floating in between on the infield grass, almost floating towards the pitcher's mound. Well, the minute that ball is thrown and it's air mailed, he takes off running. So that's, that's why that there's play no way developed. it's practice. Yeah. No, it's not practice. That's, the New York media acted like it was practice. You don't practice anything like that because you don't practice that throw. No, that it's a, a great terrible...
0: instinctual play, but it's not something that's by it, design.
1: That, that's exactly right. So he takes off running and he flips it. So Jeremy's called out, okay, we lose one nothing. Um Never did I really think we were going to then lose the next two games. Um, you know, I, I, I'll i say this for those teams. we We never – had the veteran playoff guys. We, I, I, I would say we pitched okay in all of those playoff series. Um, we didn't pitch great. Um, our offense struggled in a lot of those playoff series, I believe, um, because, you know, over a season, yeah, walks and homers, they work. But when you're playing in the playoffs, you're now generally facing – the best pitching rotations in the game so you're not going to get walked and you're not going to hit as many homers so our our runs were probably down some i guess um you know uh the boston minnesota um it was i know radke radke pitched well against us for the Twins. Um, that series, too. You know, oh, it was – yeah, it was it was just uh, – so when I got traded to St. Louis in our first year in 05 with them, we, we when we went to the playoffs to play the Padres, mm-hmm. our locker room, our locker room, I could not begin to tell you how different that Cardinal locker room was compared to our Oakland A's locker room going into the playoffs. When I was with the Cardinals, it was – all right, let's go. Let's go sweep the Padres and move on to see who we play in the next series, and let's figure out how to get to the World Series. That was the attitude of that team, with with Larry Walker, Reggie Sanders, Scott Rowland, Jim Edmonds, oh. Albert Pujols. You know, they not that Albert had really been there, done it that many times, but the other guys had. So that is not how it was in Oakland. In Oakland, it was oh, can these guys pull it off? And you could tell come playoff time, our locker room vibe was different. Hmm. I think everybody was a little bit more uptight. Everybody was a little bit more like, oh, all right, here we go. And, and when I look back at it, real at that time, I didn't realize that our locker room was that way. But when I got traded to St. Louis, that's when I realized our locker room was like that. So that was the thing that was we didn't have any experience on our team for a- anyone who had been there. Especially now, we might have had some few veteran guys who they brought in who had playoff experience, but
0: 9%. other than
1: maybe other than maybe David Justice or so, it's one of those things where we didn't have any starters, especially uh, position guys who were who had experience. And to me, that was the missing thing that we needed in Oakland, and we didn't have it.
0: Hearing you say it, I have to be honest. I, I remember doing the radio show back then, and I wish you had come on. Because I wish <laughs> I had known that, you know. Because that's 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 a perfect reason, you know. Back, then. it's it's all yeah. hindsight now, but but back then, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I, I I wish I'd I'd known. More Sports with Friends in just a moment. You know, I love hosting this show, and obviously I want as many people as possible to hear every episode. I put a lot of effort into them. The reality, though, is that podcast discovery, whether you're a podcaster or a podcast listener, is hard. That's why I've partnered with the folks at Marble. M-A-R-B-Y-L. Not like marbles in your mouth like it sounds when I'm doing my podcast. Marbles AI identifies the five most interesting moments in a podcast episode and instantly transforms them into searchable, shareable clips called marbles. We've done close to 400 episodes of this show, and sometimes you want to hear about themes that we've done. You can search for hockey podcasts that we've done, football podcasts that we've done. If you want to hear about the paralysis situation with Eric LeGrand. Or the release of Brittany Griner. We've done four separate podcasts on Brittany Griner's arrest. All the amazing coverage we did of sports and COVID. You can easily make a marble out of this. It's easy to create and share marbles from anywhere inside my episodes on the Marble app. And as a listener of Sports with Friends on Marble, I think it's cool that anyone can go in and be the first to claim something That's said on the show as their own personally created marble. You can share it on Instagram, TikTok, social media. And if you're old like me, you can even put it on Facebook. You can be the first to marbleize a moment on the show. And it helps me get discovered. If you're a podcaster, join me in marbleizing your show. Just head to marble.com, that's M-A-R-B-Y-L.com to get started. And if you're a listener that doesn't have a podcast, it's a great and free way to directly support Sports with Friends. To get the app, simply create and share one marble from something set on this show that you enjoyed, not something you hated. When you subscribe to my show on Marble, you'll get access to all the latest marbles as they roll out. Marble is a free app for both iOS and Android users, so head to Marble.com, that's dot com, or search Marble in the app or Google Play stores change the way you listen to podcasts. You mentioned the playoff series with the Twins. Uh, just one side note, this is for the audience. Uh, that's the year I got into a, a fight with the uh, Twins PR guy, uh, Mike Herman. Uh, because they were rats in the press box. And we did a show uh, before one of the games between the A's and the and the Twins, and we did probably two segments on rats in the press box. Mike Herman's shouting at me, could you stop talking about rats in the press box? And I said, get rid of the rats in the press box. We'll stop talking about rats in the press box. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that is my memory. You know, this is my <laughs> twisted memory from those, uh, those Oh yeah. I can remember all, all of that. Um, you mentioned St. Louis. And the interesting thing about working for MLB in the 2000s, uh, the Cardinals fan base, I think, got uh, overlooked back then. I don't know how it's evolved now with social media. And, and I think baseball has changed a lot. We'll talk about that later. But but yeah, I think it, it, it's very different. But back then, when baseball was at its what I call its pinnacle, St. Louis was very often overlooked. I always said and I, I meant this in a complimentary way that St. Louis was just as obnoxious a fan base as Boston and New York. And the only reason why they didn't get characterized that way was because they didn't they, they weren't on the east coast and there wasn't as much media attention. Yeah. I I remember there was a um, there was an incident. You might have been on the team. You might not have. It was the year of the World Baseball Classic. So 2006 you were with the Cardinals. And the Dominican Republic team couldn't get an insurance policy on Pujols. And so he couldn't play in the World Baseball Classic.
1: Yeah. And
0: there was an exhibition game where it was in in Jupiter where the Dominican team was going to play the Cardinals. And because Pujols didn't want to go against his countrymen, he wasn't going to play in the game. And I said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Because wouldn't it be great practice for them to face yeah. you? Yeah. You would have thought I had said the Lord's name in vain. You <laughs> would have thought I had spoken ill. I I, 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 I had criticized the Messiah. I had yeah. I had gone against the establishment. My name was Mud in St. Louis for six years because of that <laughs> situation. There was yeah. one other one, uh, Molina, uh, 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 Yadi Molina, unbelievable player you, you threw, you know, he was your catcher. It's an yep. unbelievable player. And we were having a debate and it was, this is what MLB radio was. We had debates that if you didn't have the DH for the pitcher, but you had a DH for the catcher, this is when Joe Maurer was coming up. Yeah. And the idea, but Oh, it was when Buster Posey got hurt. And we said, if you could DH for the catcher, as good a hitter as Yadi Molina is, he's more valuable as a catcher. He would catch, and you'd get somebody else to hit. Sure. Bam! The floodgates. So, how could you disrespect Yadi Molina like that?
1: Yeah, you're not you're not disrespecting him offensively. You're just that. saying that you you're just saying that as good of a hitter as he is, he's that much better of a catcher.
0: And the way Daryl and I used to take it was St. Louis fans are that intense, like they are that intense. And I would imagine that as the sport evolves into this regional sport where it ceases to become this this thing that galvanizes a country, St. Louis is probably one of the best baseball cities, even though their fans are so stinking obnoxious.
1: Yeah, I, I, I would agree. For the with record, you. Mark
0: Mulder is not saying that.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I loved it. I absolutely loved it there, and I wish I could have been healthy there because people always ask me, oh, what would you like more, Oakland or St. Louis? And I have to say Oakland because I pitched better. You know, I I was able to win a World Series in 06 with the Cardinals, but the reality is, is that I was good and I was healthy and I was pitching in Oakland, and that was the best. Had I been healthy and pitched in St. Louis the way that I pitched in Oakland, St. Louis would have blown Oakland out of the water. And to pitch in front of 40-some thousand fans every single night um, would have been incredible. And I do believe I would have, had I been healthy, I would have been in St. Louis for maybe 10 years instead of four. And it would have been the greatest – however many years ever, because the only drawback at that time, and I'm sure that has changed now with the way social media is and stuff. The only drawback that I didn't love is because of all my injuries and all the things that I was having to deal with. And knowing that I wasn't, I knew deep down inside after my first shoulder surgery, that things were different and I was not right. And the things that used to write in this post dispatch my mm-hmm. only issue with St. Louis was that t- the, the the people there treated that as if it were the Bible. <laughs> and that used to drive me crazy because anything that was written, anything that was written in that dispatch was believed by everybody. everyone, And it drove me crazy because I'd have to say 50 or 60% of the stuff that was written about me was wrong or it was someone else's opinion. And, it, it when you're coming and and I'll say this to be perfectly honest when i was trying to come back from my surgeries i was a little more sensitive to things
0: i would hope i that, would think so you
1: know because i'm i'm working as hard as i am and i knew things weren't right and i knew i wasn't my same old self so i was a little more sensitive to things that were written so i didn't mind when things that were written were um critiquing me but when you're writing things that were wrong, that bothered me. And I can handle people critiquing and saying he's not good or he he's not throwing the ball right or this, that. But when other things were being said about – I I don't even know about what because it's been so long ago. I just – it it just bothered me that everybody believed what was written in that paper. And that was my only issue with St. Louis. The rest was incredible. The fan base – I mean, I remember – My my wife and I had just started dating and I remember we went to Chipotle to get some food and you know one of the times I got out of the car and I'm crossing the street just to run into Chipotle to grab something and people are honking at me.
0: Oh my god. You know,
1: and you're like, and you're like, wait a minute, how do they how do they I just hopped out of a car, nobody's following me. How would they even know it's me? But that's the way that city was. And it was also incredible to play there, um, night in, night out. Love going to the fields. Uh, the Great. first no, it's, year,
0: it's cool to hear you say it.
1: it yeah, it, it was a really cool place, man. I, I really.
0: Loved I hope it. you're having as much fun as I am. <laughs> <It's> so much <laughs> fun re- thinking back to all this.
1: Well, there's a lot of these things that there's a lot of these stories that I I've forgotten about. Yeah, you know. So when I do something like this, things kind of come back, and you start to remember certain things, and I, I feel like. I've forgotten more things than I've remembered these days. Um, I was never one who, I'm not a good storyteller. I don't, I remember early in my days, you know, Jim Palmer would come in the clubhouse with the Orioles and he used to tell us stories about this and that. And we'd all, he'd leave and we'd all would go, well, if he was making it up, we would never know. You know, but Jim Palmer would come in and be like, oh, the 72 World Series game three, fourth inning. And you're like, huh? How do you remember this kind of stuff? But some people do, and some people don't. And I'm just not one who can remember a lot of that stuff.
0: Billy Sample, uh, Mm -hmm. who was one of my earlier partners at MLB Radio, uh, came on the podcast, and this was when – it was years ago, but the strikeouts were getting a little out of hand in baseball today. Kind of a segue. And he told us a story about, I want to say, 1977 – my year might have been be off but he was with the sure. texas rangers and if you struck out you were not allowed to utilize the services of the bat boy that you had to carry your bat back to the dugout in shame like that was sure. your shame yep. and, and now you know with this era of pitch counts this was billy's point but it's a great point Uh, now in this era of pitch counts, if you have a nine or twelve pitch at bat, even if the ninth or twelfth pitch is a swinging strike three, you get high fives. Like now, it's 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 a completely different. The strikeout has 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 totally changed. But the and to your point, I don't know if that story's true. I don't have footage of the nineteen seventy seven Texas Rangers. I don't know if that's true. It's a great story, and in legend. But to your point, that's how people are gonna see Moneyball.
1: Yep. They're gonna think yeah.
0: Scott Hattieberg is the reason you guys won as many games as you did.
1: Yeah. No. I just <laughs> I get it, it.
0: Pisses me off so much. Um uh, <laughs> when did golf become such a big deal to you? That is the worst, um, segment, by the way. Folks, when you do podcasts, that's not how you do it. But.
1: Yeah, well, golf for me, so I played very little as a kid. I played some in high school. I played almost none in college. But then when the A's drafted me, I went out to Arizona. Uh, Chavez, Jermaine Dye, some of us all those years, we go we all lived there. Um, in Scottsdale. Mm-hmm. And we would go to the field at seven, eight in the morning, work out. By eleven o'clock, we're done all winter long. And we would go tee off at we would go tee off at noon, twelve thirty, you know, whatever whatever it is. So um, that was kind of just our routine and it got to be a bigger thing. Well, when my career ended early, it then became an outlet for me. It became a way for me to still compete. Uh, You know, I competed from the age of seven or eight. I competed my entire life and all of a sudden competition was done for me. So it was kind of difficult and golf What that did for me mentally, what it did for me physically, what it did for me, just for my life, for my day-to-day, everything. It it gave me an outlet. It gave me, um, whether it was gambling with buddies, whether I remember getting done. So, 08 was my last year, 09, uh, I was still throwing, just seeing if I could get it back. And then somewhere late 09, 09, early 2010, I remember I went to my office. And I Googled amateur golf tournaments. Nice. Because I needed something. I, I needed something to do. That I needed a fire. That, that, yes, that intangible
0: fire that athletes that, have that, that regular yokels don't have.
1: Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And I found the, the Golf Channel Amateur Tour, it was called. And they had them all over the country. They had them. So I started playing in the Arizona ones. I started doing the Arizona amateur. I did the USGA mid-am qualifier. I did, I just started finding anything I could find and it just kind of, it became a little bit of my new thing. And then in 2010 or 11, my agent was able to make some phone calls and get me into the American century tournament in Tahoe, Mm -hmm. um, getting to play in that. Um, Yeah, that's, that's just kind of how it happened. And to this day, man, you know, I get golfed out real easy. So if I play four days in a row, five days in a row in like one of these tournaments, if I go play in something, I come home and I, I can't play for like a week. But the thing is, is during that week, I find myself going a little stir crazy because I just need to compete in something. I need to challenge myself. I need to, and the, and the beauty about golf is as much as I don't, you, you're not going to, I don't really go play golf by myself, but you can because you're competing against a course, sure. you're competing against the game, you know. So for me it was just I I needed golf, man. I I needed I needed it for this right here because Totally. uh I was I we had little kids. Um I, I just needed I needed to compete, you know, and and it uh it was a great outlet for me.
0: No, that's that's wonderful. And you won the American Century.
1: What you're Yeah, I think I want, I wanted uh 2015, 16 and 17 oh my God. and, and honestly should have won it last year, choked my brains out on the back nine and I had a huge lead and kind of gave it all back. But, you know, point is man, now my oldest son who is 15, he's, he's a freshman in high school. It, he's all in on golf, um, oh, cool. played, played incredible this year, finished fifth in the state tournament in Arizona Um you know, now that he's starting awesome. to travel around the country to play and stuff and it's his passion and it, it's it's really cool to see. So it's you can, uh it's like
0: you can kind of live vicariously through him. Yeah.
1: Well I can I, and I can play with him. I played with we're up in Flagstaff, Arizona right now. I've played with him every other day up here. He plays with buddies, but you know, I can play with him a lot and it's something him and I'll be able to do the rest of our life, you know. So it's uh it's a special thing
0: buddy of mine uh guy we've had on the podcast Etan Thomas playing the NBA he um his son is now playing AAU and it, you can yeah. see you could see his face light up like you could just see the joy that he's getting watching this and it's not just pride like I'm proud of my kids too like my daughter does sure. equestrian and I'm thrilled for her But I can see from the competitive standpoint, like you can see there's this intangible. It's just it's you can't put it into words what that is, but it's what makes athletes great. And it's what makes people it it makes me love sports. It's what it's that it's that thing. And so to be able to pass it down and then to be able to see it from that standpoint is well.
1: Yeah, and I didn't have – like my dad played some high school sports, but he wasn't the most athletic person. My mom didn't really play sports. So growing up, I remember uh, when I was in high school, I had a start where – I mean, I dominated through high school like most of us, but I had a start where I didn't pitch very well. And there were a ton of scouts and cross-checkers at that time who showed up and all this stuff. And I didn't pitch great. And I remember getting in the car with my dad going home, and my dad looked at me and he goes – you think, or what? how do you put it? He said, do you think you can make something of this? Or do you really think you can make something of this? Hmm. And I remember I looked at him, I go, yeah, why won't I? Why wouldn't I? He's like, oh, okay. You know, and, and it was just one of those, I've just always had this belief that I wasn't going to ever do anything other than play baseball. Yeah. You know, and my two younger brothers look at me and they they they, they laugh. Now they're like, if you, "If you wouldn't have played baseball, what would you have done?" I'm like, "I don't know. I never. What what was Plan B? I go, "I never had one. <laughs>
0: I, I I never I never like had a one. You know, it was come on this podcast that said they had no idea.
1: Yeah, you know. And my brother jokes. Chances are you would have been a gym teacher. I'm like, yeah, maybe. That's I, I mean." Right. Who, who knows, you know, it's just one of those things where, and I see that in my oldest son a little bit right now where, you know, he, his goal, I, we've, I've talked to him about it. You know, I'm like, your goal is to play college golf, your goal. And and he's going to get there because he's already getting there. But point is, is that he just has this idea that he wants to play on the PGA tour, you know, and I'm never going to, doubt him I'm never going to take that away from him but you know when it comes to your kids and stuff like that man my dad never never casted a shadow on my dreams you know and as hard as and difficult as I now know of something like that you know I always sit there my youngest son is 10 and plays baseball and I some of these parents like oh my kid's so good I was like yeah okay you know I I mean but I'm not going to sit there and Doubt people. There's too many parents who think their kids are all going to make it these days and that kind of stuff. And I just keep my mouth shut, you know. And I do the same thing with my own kids. It's just the way it is.
0: The American Century Championship uh, is really a who's who of uh, athletes, uh, entertainers, just people. Um, Last year we had Joe Theismann on the podcast. A couple weeks ago we had. uh, Last week we had uh, Derek Lowe on on the podcast, um, and I asked him the same question. Uh, who do you try to meet? Is there anybody that you uh, have gotten to meet uh, that was really somebody you really wanted to? Um, did you ever get starstruck um, meeting somebody? I mean, you're Mark Mulder. Well, you're in the first two minutes of Moneyball.
1: Oh yeah, uh, yeah, big time star. No, I could you, so not you resist under- that.
0: I was thinking as yeah. I was asking it, I was like, I got to no, do no. a Moneyball thing.
1: No, it's I perfect. I am perfectly well aware of where I rank in the American century celebrity list.
0: No, but you okay. want it, but you've wanted so I,
1: everybody knows about you. Fa- yes. No, fair enough. I, I, and I totally understand that, but when it comes to the names and the people that are there, I will say that the biggest one was probably, I mean, how could it not be Timberlake? You know, Justin, Justin Timberlake, Timberlake is a right. yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a superstar. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Steph Curry, Patrick Mahomes, guys like that i mean it's great getting to meet those guys it's great being around them aaron rodgers uh all of it but timberlakes kind of on a whole nother level when when you're talking about that kind of stuff can um, i ask him
0: about the super bowl
1: right yeah exactly so but you know there's but my kids having my kids are 16 or or 13 or 15 13 and 11 they've mm-hmm. grown up at this tournament so my oldest son thinks him and Timberlake are like oh, boys.
0: They're, they're boys. <laughs> you know,
1: and it's one of the first years he met Timberlake, he, t- Justin signed his hat, and yes. the next year my son walks into the tent with me, the celebrity tent right by the driving range, and Timberlake's sitting there having breakfast. And I walk in and my youngest son looks and goes, "Hi Mr. Timberlake," and just keeps on walking. And Timberlake <laughs> goes, "Hey, hey dude." You know, like he didn't even remember who it was and then justin saw me he's like oh hey it's hi you know the whole deal but my son thinks they're boys and it's hilarious that that's now what it's become where a lot of these guys know my kids uh jonathan thomas who's the ceo of american century told me for years in 2015 when i won i was kind of one of the first guys who had his kids out on the course with them for the pro-ams, had his kids, the kids that were obviously able to run out on the green when I won. And it became a joke when I run, when I won in 15, 16 and 17, my daughter, who in 2018 had to be, I don't know, eight, seven or eight. She looked at me. She goes, dad, where are we going next week? I said, we're going to Tahoe. She goes, Oh, the place we get to run out on the green at the end. (laughs) And I'm like, no, sweetheart, that's only if dad wins. But that's, that's how they knew it. it. You know, that's how they knew of that tournament. That's what made them think of it. And now my daughter is 13 and she's five foot five foot nine. And I'm just like, she's only 13. I get it. But now I'm getting to that age where it's like, uh, uh, You're not going around any of these, you know, (laughs) that kind of stuff where it's, things are changing for me. So, you know, but it's,
0: I have a 14 year old. I I get, I totally. Yeah.
1: And I didn't have sisters, so I have no idea what I'm getting into. But point is, as Jonathan Thomas has always said those pictures of me with the kids and my wife and all that, they, they blasted that stuff out everywhere because it became like a huge family tournament. And so You know, because a lot of guys used to just go by themselves. They'd party at Harrah's, uh, gamble, the whole deal. Well, you know, now everybody brings their families. Everybody brings the kids. And that tournament has just exploded over the last five to ten years with Curry and Timberlake and all these guys playing in it. And, you know, Tahoe's already an unbelievable destination. And the amount of people who show up on Friday, Saturday, Sunday for this tournament is insane. And... It's just just a special place and a special tournament.
0: Uh, Mark, congratulations on, A, your baseball career, your golf career, your family success, all of it. It has been an absolute pleasure to reconnect with you, man. Uh, This has been an absolute thrill. And uh, good luck at the American Century again. And uh, just come back to the podcast. Let's do this again, like in a... In a, in a couple months or something, let's just uh, hang out and tell more stories.
1: in, oh, man, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
0: Mark Mulder. This exceeded my expectations. I hope you enjoyed this. I had so much fun doing it. The last two weeks, between Derek Lowe and Mark Mulder, I feel like I've been in a time machine, and it is the early, early 21st century. Baseball was so different back then, wasn't it? Next week, we're going to Philadelphia to have a conversation with an absolute radio icon. A Hall of Famer, Angelo Cataldi, is on the podcast next week. Make sure you rate the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you are listening. Please give it a five-star review, and we will be back next week with Angelo Cataldi. We'll see you then.
2: If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. To stay here, I got to be me. You'll never be in doubt. That's what it's all about. You can't take me for granted and smile. Calvin, please, I'm gone. Forget reaching me by phone, because I promise I'll be gone for a while. When you see me again, I hope that you have been the kind of person.